0: If you love a prodigal, you can discover help and hope for your wilderness journey right here at When You Love a Prodigal, and also help and hope for your own life journey. And as I always say, don't forget to jot down any helpful thoughts or actions that you hear or absorb from today. Because you'll think you'll remember, but if you don't write it down, you probably won't. So we want you to get really solid encouragement and help in your journey. Now, I am excited for our guest today. His name is Spencer Brand. I've known him for mm, decades, I think. And um, I have had the privilege of participating with him in some conferences for people with prodigals and um, of varying kinds and ages. And Spencer has a huge, wonderful background. Uh, He has been director of special projects in the president's office for our ministry for Campus Crusade Crew for 37 years and is the founder and currently president of the Endowment for Community Leadership, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to the development of the next generation of American leaders. Spencer graduated from the University of Minnesota. He has a master's degree in public affairs and held senior positions in the office of the secretary at the Department of Labor and the Department of the Interior. He's been a consultant and speaker for almost 50 years, serving public and private leaders on multiple continents in the areas of strategic effectiveness and interpersonal relationships. And, you know, maybe the interpersonal relationships are part of what he really can help us with. He and his wife, Barbara, have been married for 47 years and have four grown children and several grandchildren right?
1: Yes, three men children.
0: Yes, okay. And the main reason he's talking with us today is he has walked where we are walking, and uh, he has a lot of experience and wisdom. So, Spencer, you have always been one of the favorite speakers at the gatherings for Parents of Prodigals that, um, that we have both been a part of. And I believe your consistent ability to connect is from the hard challenges of your life. Uh, You have walked where we've walked in this audience, but more people than that as well. God's taken you through uh, quite a few things. And so let me just get going with some questions, and we'll, we'll talk for the next 30 or 40 minutes. So, I'm going to start at hard. Give us some background on the challenges that you and your family have faced, if you can, please.
1: Well, I think, Judy, first of all, uh, while I was working in Washington, D.C., is when I came to faith in Christ, really through the influence of my older brother, who was at that time director of the uh, ministry at Penn State with Campus Crusade. And I understood from him how to uh, share my faith, how to walk in the Spirit, and so on, and all of that. But in any case, in May of 1975, or early 75, I was invited to come out to Arrowhead Spring because uh, a publication called Worldwide Challenge. Worldwide Challenge. Uh, Good yes, magazine. magazine was doing an article <laughs> on uh, ministry in Washington, D.C. And it was at that time that I briefly met this beautiful young woman named Judy Downs. And we had just some brief conversation. Then I was interviewed by someone, I don't recall who. But later that evening, Trudy Bush and I went out to dinner at Marie Callender's. And at Marie Callender's, uh, while we were talking about a number of things, and again, I'm in my early 20s, I'm full of myself. I have some very heady positions in Washington, lots of wonderful experiences. She turned to me and she said, Spencer, may I ask you a question? And I said, well, of course. She said, have you ever thought that God might want to change your personality? And I thought to myself, you know, of course he does, because we're to be transformed, not conformed to the world. And that was the beginning of my spiritual journey of, Lord, I want to be who you want me to be. I want to do what you want me to do, to say what you want me to say. And to go. then I met my wife uh, shortly after that. We were married in, in 1976 for about seven years before we had our first child, and then we had three others, a total of four children. In 1992, my wife's left side of her body went completely numb, and uh, we went to the doctor, and she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. She was, she's had multiple sclerosis now for about 32 years. Bedridden at times, loss of eyesight, excruciating pain, which meant she had to withdraw from so much of the family life with our children. I had just returned from a couple of weeks in the Soviet Union at that time. Our children were nine, seven, four, and 2. And so I had to basically stop all ministry activity and became, in essence, a single parent. Well, as our children grew, our oldest daughter, who's now 40, married the one with the three grandchildren, kept walking with the Lord, mission trips, the Camps Crusade, and so on. Our second child, who's now 38, uh, involved a couple of mission trips, started Fellowship of Christian Athletes in high school. Then went out to California to attend seminary. She would now deny that she's a Christian, and she is dating a Muslim and considering marriage. It's her first prodigal, the one most unexpected that happened later in life. Our third child, when she was in about sixth grade, started experiencing a number of difficulties, troubles, We went to psychologists, psychiatrists, all of that ended up uh, in her freshman year of high school having to have her removed and taken to a facility in upstate New York that was for drug rehabilitation, alcoholics, children with a variety of disorders, and she was there for a year and a half. She then left that, went on to college, was doing well, then walked away from college and has struggled for a number of years. Today, really trying to find her identity. Lived with a man for about seven years, then moved in with a girl across the country, Now she works for a government agency that primarily helps LGBTQ people in Muslim countries. So she would also be struggling with who am I, what's my identity, sees God has no plan in her life, and so on. Our fourth child, our son, ended up in special forces. He's walking with the Lord and doing quite well. So we have two prodigals, and this has been going on, Judy, for 20-some years. So it's been a long journey for them.
0: That is a long journey. So how is your relationship with them?
1: Uh, with our with our second daughter, um, it's changed wonderfully in the last few weeks because uh, about two or three weeks ago, my wife went in for a normal mammogram and they thought they saw something, then a sonogram, then a biopsy, and she's been diagnosed with breast cancer. And actually, she'll go in for surgery on the 21st. But that has caused a great deal of concern among all of our children. And now, all yes. of a sudden, our daughter in California wants to fly out spend time with Barbara and so on, which we will arrange for and so on. And our other daughter, who has now moved back relatively close to us, so we don't know her address. We know she's in the same county in Virginia now. Um, she's also contacted us and may stop by this past weekend. So out of this kind of additional experience and struggle that my wife is facing, it perhaps there's now an openness here. Otherwise, it's basically kind of elevator talk from time to time, sometimes months without conversation with the one daughter one season, a year and a half without any contact. So it kind of depends on the season. But with those two, for the most part, Judy, I would describe it almost as elevator talk. Elevator talk. Yeah, and I I think of this verse, you know, it says, and we don't think of our children this way, but because of their view toward the Lord and so on. In 2 Timothy, it says, opponents must be gently instructed. I thought, you know, we don't think of our children as an opponent, but in the spiritual sense, they really are. In the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. So instead of trying, yeah, I think learn the hard way, instead of trying to correct or, you know, whatever it is that we want to do to try to fix our kids, yes, even them and maintaining our relationship.
0: Yes, I, I really agree with that. Our tendency is one to say, you're wrong, we're right, we're, yeah. why don't you get it? Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and really, our main way to, to help them and connect with them is that we love them and we seek to have relationship with them. Yeah. But we do also recognize they're adults and we, we don't have authority
1: over no. them. And I think, Judy, at times we've kind of related, to, or certainly I have related to them, like if you're trying to speak with someone who doesn't understand English, you you speak louder. As that's, <laughs> you know, help their understanding. I think we've done, I certainly have done that with my children, you know, a lot. But I love, but the rest of that verse says, "In that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. And when again, we see that they're, we're involved in a spiritual battle. It's not yes. just... It's not just, you know, the the stuff of life. There's something much deeper there. That's why we want to approach them gently to the degree we can, because because only the Holy Spirit is going to produce the change that we desire. We can.
0: That is so true. That is so true. Well, let's just think about some of the major things that you have learned on this long journey that's still going. And, um, and what is it that God has done in your life or revealed to you or shown you as you have um, walked through this and, and learned, how how do I keep going? Because you have to keep living.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think a good friend of ours gave us some good advice years ago that when you're really struggling with this, and again, for us, you know, it, all of us have children that are so different, you know, um, uh, some very young, some old, some drugs, some alcohol, some sexual identity, all of the st- things that we struggle with and other behavioral disorders. Um, so instead of trying to kind of, how do I relate to my children? It's like, how do we, Lord, how do we experience you in the midst of these ongoing struggles that may last a lifetime? And I think the first thing, Judy, is that if you're married and you have a husband and wife, you need to draw closer together. And that's not our nature. Just like Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they ran away from the one who loved them the most and hid. Mm -hmm. And when I'm struggling, I'll have a tendency to want to withdraw from Barbara, solve the problems on my own, then come to her with a solution. Or she may be in prayer. She may withdraw as well. And what we learned early on is that we must be meeting together, talking together, praying together, and becoming one-minded to the degree possible on how to relate to each of the different children. Because, again, men and women are so completely different, and mothers and fathers are so completely different. A mother has a whole different perspective than a father does, and that's why there's often not right and wrong. It's different perspectives to come to kind of a median. So that's the first thing Barbara and I, you know, um, Understood. Now, perhaps for us a little bit easier because we were married for seven years before we had children, mm-hmm. and we didn't expect children. The doctors didn't think Barbara could conceive, so it, it was kind of an unexpected, you know, situation for us. I think the other thing is to be fixing our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, not on our children. Now, there's practical uh, encouragement, but there's the deeper encouragement in the Lord. So, kind of as a practical aside, two years ago, I'm in northern attending a baptism that a small church was giving at a local lake. And the three people being baptized was an 18-year-old girl and her 16-year-old brother and an 89-year-old man. And I thought, Lord, I thought, Lord, if it's my children at 89, they're yours. I, I just need to remember that you are in control. You have them in your hand. I love what Abraham Kuyper said, both with our children and us, he says, but also to teach you the struggles we're going through, to teach you to trust in him when everything is gone, all is dark and nothing more is left. And we've all been in those places. Mm -hmm. And Judy, you and, you know, to teach you that when love leaves, faith evaporates and hope sinks away, all is not yet lost. For he, the Lord, is still powerful enough to gather your life to himself and say, Satan, you can never tear this person out of my hands. And so it. us or our children. So yes, we want to hope hopefully before eighty nine, but even that great rejoicing. But also our hope really needs to be placed in the Lord.
0: That's that's beautiful. So one of the things you mentioned before when we were communicating, you talked about parental guilt. What were you would you feel guilty for and what impact did that have and how do you respond to that?
1: I think, first of all, that may—I don't know if this is as true with mothers as it is with fathers, because the father tendency is to, you know, I should have fixed things if only I had done something different. So when I meet with men that have that are struggling with children that have really wandered away, or, or all these other issues that we've talked about, um, they're constantly saying, "If I had just done this, I should have done this. We shouldn't have lived there. I shouldn't have had them in that school." It's a hundred different. We used to have a support group in our home. The moment our daughter was taken up to the school in New York, uh, we decided to have a support group in our home for parents who were struggling with the same kinds of things. You know, out of C.S. Lewis, one true friendship is formed when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. But also of how we are, as we go through our suffering, part of that is so that we might comfort others. But as we would go around the room, people would say, well, the reason I child is struggling is we have too much money. The reason my child is struggling is we're poor. The reason my child is struggling is they were adopted. The reason my child was struggling is they were the only child. The reason my child... Tra- all of the reasons that we try to come up with for the behavior of our children. So men are driven to want to fix them. So they keep doing if only. If only we had done this. And the thing that I try to share with them, and as mothers do it too, is two things. One, first of all, biblically, in, sec- in Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says we demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought. When I do an if-only, it's vain imagination. And I need to recognize that if I'm a believer of sin, Lord, I've sinned against you because I'm having these vain imaginations. So Lord, thank you that He died on the cross. that and I'll take control of my life. But now again, on the practical side of it, whenever we do an if only, we always attach a positive outcome to it. If only they'd gone to a different school, well, they could have been run over by a bus on the way to that school. But we never attach a negative to an if only. So, Lord, it's beyond my control. You are the sovereign of the universe. You have freedom to move in each of our hearts. The number of times I've disobeyed you, the number of times I've chosen sinful things, sinful deeds, sinful thoughts. So, Lord, my child is on that same pilgrimage, just in a different place than perhaps I was or I am, hopefully. But Lord, I don't want to be caught up in that self-examination, that idea that if only I had done something, I, this, these problems wouldn't have developed. Because actually, it, it's a sort of pride that I really can control my child's life if I had just done the right thing, gone to more games, hugged them more, not yelled at them, not disciplined them, whatever it might be, Judy. So that that's you know what I mean by that parental guilt. It becomes debilitating.
0: Well, and I think that, Pretty near anyone listening today can identify with that. There are so many if-onlys, and we have such a tendency to think it's our fault, or certainly we played a role. And we may have, but that doesn't mean it's fault like that because God's still working. Even when we blow it or they blow it, um, God is at work. I love that he says in Scripture that he is always working.
1: Yeah. One night when Barbara was struggling with a lot of pain, I went in the other room, turned on the television to and caught Dr. Phil. And uh, one of his comments was I thought was so profound. He said, our children may be 100% innocent of what happened to them, even the things that we may have done or didn't do. But today they're 100% responsible for their response to it. And I think that's a very healthy thing for us to keep in mind, particularly if you have older children. I'm not talking about younger children now, but older children. They have they can make all sorts of choices. What they're going to do this Friday night, what they're going to do Sunday morning. Right. We all have those choices. So yeah, I, I agree. Hmm.
0: One of the things you mentioned also, well, actually, some several things, but one was uh, depression, and others were you know the tendency to pull you apart in your marriage. Uh, which I've observed for many, um, and, and it may be prodigals, it may be mental health, it may be <clears throat> I have friends with uh, whose child has autism. It was a real stress on their marriage. Any hard thing, I'm sure that, that Barbara's health issues have been a stress on your marriage as well. So you want to talk about that a little?
1: Yes, I think first of all, sometimes again that i'm not talking about clinically and so on is almost like being caught in a riptide you know when you're at the ocean every once in a while you'll hear of these dangerous riptides mm-hmm. that come and they start to pull you out to sea and you panic and so you try to swim to shore and that's when people drown because they cannot fight that riptide and they end up becoming fatigued and, and drowned but if you let that riptide pull you out, you'll, it'll come to a place where it ends, and then you can swim horizontally to the shore, of course, if you're a swimmer, and come safely to shore. And I think sometimes seasons of depression within married couples with children, I'm not talking about kind of clinical depression, but let's say the depression that happens when your dreams are shattered. Your child didn't go to the prom. Your child didn't go to homecoming. Your child didn't have the wedding you thought they were going to have or the children that you were going to have. All of our dreams that are shattered that cause us to be depressed it wasn't the life that I expected it to be. Um, what, what's the reason for going on? Dan Folgerberg said, you know, we face the future from a weary past. So first of all, those are seasons. And in those seasons, God has not left you. He's still there, even if you cannot see him, feel him, or touch him. And that's why I love Thomas the Apostle, because without him, Jesus would not have said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe." And maybe I'd add those have not seen, those have not heard, those they not feel. So first of all, in that season of depression, we want to be sure that we are going into the scripture. Now why? I love what another friend of mine said. He says, you want to read the Bible, not because you have to, but because you get to. Just think <laughs> of that perspective. Yes, I can it is. go into that book and read the Psalms of David struggling. Lord, where are you? You've abandoned me. There's no hope. Knowing that's God speaking to me. When I'm reading God's word, he's speaking to me, and he's the one that says, Spencer, I know how you feel. My, The one who loved me in an incredible way felt the same way that I had abandoned him. My own son on the cross said, Father, why have you forsaken me? I know how you feel, but I'm here. When it comes to the marriage situation, we need to keep going back that we are to leave and cleave. And I know that sounds simple, but the priority is that marriage relationship, not the children, not the in-laws, not the parents. It's the, it's the marriage. We are to be married until the day the Lord takes us home or today. Well, we are. I mean, even if we're separated in a nursing home or whatever. Our children, the, Judy, I just, the more I think about it, it's really amazing. You have poured your heart, your time, your talent, your treasure into your children's life perhaps even more than kind of your husband because of the your, your kind of co-equal. Just so that one day they'd leave you, they'd move out, they'd say goodbye, mom, goodbye, dad, they'd have their own families. It's really kind of a strange thing when you think the very one that we, you know, have nurtured from whatever age or given birth to or whatever, we raise them to one day leave us. And that's why I always think of Hannah. All she wanted was a child. That's all she wanted. The Lord said, okay, you can have this child, but now give him back to me. He's mine. So I think for married folks, for single parents, your life cannot be in your child. If it's husband and wife, your life needs to be together, and you really have to come together and encourage each other. Ask the other your partner what you can be praying for about them. You'll find out what's most important to them. If you can't go away okay. together or whatever, then Try to find some time where the two of you can nurture each other. Yes. I've, I've often told people that my ministry is to get Barbara a platform for her because she is changing the world, as she says, from her bedroom. She's an amazing
0: woman with great yeah. spiritual depth.
1: Yeah, yeah. And And so if I'm a husband, I want to remember that my responsibility is to love my wife as Jesus loves me. Every time I rebel against him, he loves me. Every time I disagree with him, he loves me. Every time I argue with him, he loves me. Every time I don't do what he wants me to do, he loves me. And every time when I finally say, okay, Lord, let me listen, he loves me. And I think husbands need to really listen to their wives. And when they don't pay attention, you know, all the things I just said, because that's our responsibility. And wives, I think, when they hear their husband say something, and I'm talking now about children, that they don't agree with or they don't like, ask questions. Why do you think we should do that with our child? Why do you think we shouldn't do that? Whatever the issue is. So instead of just reacting to when he says, you know, let's send him away or something, like that, I can't think of a good example. Ask why he's thinking that way because men typically won't don't share a lot of what's <laughs> going on in their life. You know, there was an old... Uh, motivational speaker named charlie tremendous jones
0: yes i remember
1: (laughs) he had this one statement he said his wife spoke 140 words a minute with gusts up to 180 (laughs) and and if you were to ask me how my day is i'd say fine (laughs) so you have to ask me to and so wives ask their husband questions as to why they think the way they do and husbands remember your role is to come alongside of your wife to learn from her she has a completely different perspective than you do on, chil- on, on all sorts of, well, everything, but we're particularly talking about children, so that you really grow together to become one. Now, yeah. now let me give you an example. So our daughter's up at the school for a year and a half. She finally comes home. We open up her journal only to discover that she had been living with a family off campus, so to speak, in the last few months and had developed a relationship with the husband of the woman that had taken on them. And now my heart was shattered and broken. And I could not tell Barbara. She was really going through a difficult time with her MS. And there was no way I could tell her this. I knew it would just destroy her. And I struggled with this. And finally, I called a dear friend of mine and said, what can I do? He said, well, you have to talk to your wife about it. You have to tell Barbara. His first bit of He said, Spencer, you're going together in life as one. I said, you're absolutely right. So I went in and talked to Barbara, told her the whole story, what I discovered in our in our daughter's journal, and she had a response with "Well, we need to pray. It didn't destroy her. It didn't. See, even my protective thing of my wife and so on. It's the same friend, by the way, who said, uh, Judy, if you don't have people in your life that are encouraging you and you don't have people in your life that will dope, slap you, that's his word. I, My generation was kick you in the butt. You're trafficking with the wrong people. We need to have people that at times will encourage us, but also at times to kick us in the butt. You know, it's kind of like Oswald Chambers said moods don't come out with pleading, they come out with kicking or something like that. <laughs> maybe maybe my parap- paraphrase of it.
0: You know, I really re- resonate with what you said. Steve and I did things a lot differently. <laughs> and, um, I- I'm the one, you know, Josh, God sent to us, and he told me he was sending us a son, and it took, it was a number of years, and then all of a sudden we had this boy. He was almost 10. He could barely read or write, and he had so many issues from fetal alcohol syndrome and abandonment, and we had no clue. I tend to be um, the more soft and caring person not always but mostly and steve was just horrified at his lack of willingness to work and his lack of responsibility and that kind of thing so we both had to learn cuz we were way over our heads and and so we we would talk and we would pray and we would learn from each other and so i became a little tougher and he became a little softer. And and um, eventually, the sweet thing that happened was that he and Josh really connected. But it took a lot of years uh, for that to happen because Josh felt he was mean to him or he was too tough on him and stuff. And um, And at the end, they were just as sweet as they could be. And Josh... You know, Steve left recently, moved to heaven, and Josh wept because he had really grown to love his dad, who had been pretty hard on him but who was slowly being able to um, to really show something that felt like love to Josh. And uh, so it, it was a learning process, and it didn't happen overnight for us.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and for many of us, Judy, that may take years. But what a wonderful that Josh that Josh wept. I mean, it it all comes back to love, doesn't it? All these things come back to love. No love has this the love of the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind. The neighbor, loving our neighbor, obviously the fruit of the spirit, and so on. But yeah, it really does. But I love the way you describe that because it's a process for the husband and wife. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it it was. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) But it's been really sweet to Mm -hmm. see see how Josh has loved him back now. But it took a long time.
1: Yeah. And I would suspect, too, Judy, that 10, 20 years, Lord willing, Josh is around. He'll look back on a lot of those things that Steve was hard on and see that they really helped shape decisions he's making now. You know, I think of my father. Was all every time I'm tempted, tempted not to put something away. The <laughs> my father's voice rings in my ear. Put your tools away when you're finished. You know, kind of, Well, I didn't want to for 30 years, but now, now I, you know, now I'm doing it. I guess I'm a slow learner.
0: That's well, aren't we all slow yeah. learners? One uh, of the things along that line that was has been really fun to see. Uh, Steve calls Josh the most creative work avoider he'd ever seen <laughs> and Steve's kind of you know into hard work and um yeah. and so it just drove him crazy that Josh would get his friends to do stuff for him he'd you know he'd always get other people to he wouldn't get his school work done he just didn't work very well but God did a work in his life and he is now someone we consider <laughs> One of the hardest working people we've ever watched. Wow. He has a labor job coming from his mother's drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. and, <clears throat> but he works really hard at his job drilling water wells. Wow. And then he comes home. They have a little farm. And so then he comes home, and he does all the farm chores. And then on the weekends, he does work around the farm that needs to be done. And every time I'm there, he comes and we talk a little, and then he's off working again. And I, it, I've gotten used to it finally, but at first when we realized the difference, I just, I'd be there and I would just weep. I would say, look have him work. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> so, but he, just, and Steve had a lot to do with that. So. But just
1: the Judy, the digging water wells, what the, what benefit that brings to human being.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: we talk of living water, but the reality of water itself, I mean, that's just terrific. I love that.
0: Yeah. I've told him, maybe you should, you know, go to Africa and help them dig wells there. He said, I have three children and a farm right now. (laughs) I go, well, we'll see what God has in mind or not. So in the midst of the challenges that you faced, um, how have you maintained hope in your life? Because with the combination of Barbara's health issues And then each different, you know, the two different children, especially, who have been a challenge. But Mm -hmm. each of them, you know, that could be so depressing and so discouraging, and yet you still are not only able to maintain hope for yourself and your family, but you're able to help others as well.
1: I think, Judy, sometimes when we talk about going into the scriptures, it's it's almost like well, okay, that's the spiritual answer, but I mean, what can I really do to solve my problem? And I think we have to remember, going back to Romans 12, 1 and 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. And Dr. Bright always would talk about the caterpillar becoming the... the uh, in fact, I think it was an error, because he used to talk about the caterpillar becoming the moth, but actually the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. But in any event, that's, that idea of being transformed is metamorphosis. It's changing the way I see things, the way I respond to things, and only the Holy Spirit can do that. So, for example, in Romans chapter 5, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we've obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, we exalt in hope of the glory of God. Not in hope my children will change, not in hope my affliction will leave me, not not in hope that I'll no longer have MS or all of these issues, but our hope in the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Lord, let me learn to exult when I'm doing the dishes all the time, when Barbara cannot communicate with the rest of the family, and we're out enjoying when the children were younger, laughter in the kitchen table, and she's at the far end of the house. She can hear us, but she can't participate in all the struggles she's having to go through. Let me learn to exult in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and Judy with our children. We all desire that we would die before our children. And so if we desire a long age for our children, by God's grace, we we need perseverance because they may be wandering for years. You know, if, if Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years, yes. perhaps our children will too. Yes. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, what? Hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we see faith, hope, and love in this one singular passage, all focused on our relationship with the Lord by the renewing of our mind. Okay, How do we do that? Three times in the book of Philippians, it tells us, I have learned to be content. I have learned, I have learned. And learning, as you know, is a difficult lifelong process. The skills that you've developed as an editor of Worldwide Challenge and all the writing and all of the stuff you've done is a skill that was learned in a very early age, learning how to do the alphabet in whatever it is kindergarten or first grade, and whenever we learn that. All those years, all the benefit that's brought to your life into the life of others, but it took years. Well, in our relationship with the Lord, we are growing in that for years. We can't just say, Well, I've read the Bible, now can I? No, you need to get into the Bible. understand the spirit for life. And that's why I started off with with talking about Trudy Bush asking me if I should change my personality. Because Psalm 139 says, search me, O Lord, to know if there's anything displeasing or hurtful in my life. That's the way I want to start every day so that I can have. Spencer, the way you spoke to your child yesterday was harshly. The way you related to your wife, Spencer, was not proper. Uh, The way that you, you know, whatever. Lord, thank you that you died on the cross for those sins. Now, take control of my life. It's exciting when God reveals sin in my life because it's one more area of my life he can transform. And then the second thing that happened in my life, Judy, and I think this is pivotal in my Christian experience. As I mentioned, I came to Washington had all these heady experiences. It was all about me, with me. Then I come to Christ. My brother tells me I need to go to church. Well, I did not want to go to church, but he sent me up to, of course, he was up in Pennsylvania. He sent me to Fourth Presbyterian Church in those days, Dick Halverson, was the pastor. Later, was a chaplain of the United States Senate. And the first night I walked into that church, he spoke on Philippians chapter 2. Consider the needs of others more important than yourself. And that was transformational in my life. It's about you, not about me. It's about my wife, not about me. It's about my children. So then, Lord, love is what's in their best interest, not mine. So if my role is to serve my wife because of the situation she's in, that's in her best interest, and I would love it. love it. Lord, if it's for me to just listen to my child say the most nonsensical things, the most disgusting things, the most rebellious things, the most whatever, and I know the truth. I know how to correct. I know that. But if it's, if, if it's, if it's what's in their best interest at that time for me to simply be silent and listen, then Lord, I need to be silent and listen because it's about them, not about me. So I think In that marriage relationship and our relationship with our children, we need to remember that love is always doing what's in the best interest of that other person, not what's in my best interest. And that's transformational. And then the other thing, and and this is a kind of last thought on that line, is in 1 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7, it says, Blessed be the, the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to be, To comfort those who are in any trouble. So, in other words, again, immediately we're pushed to helping other people by the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And then it goes through tribulations and the afflictions and so on. Then it says, For if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. In that passage, he said, God comforts us, but he doesn't take away the affliction. There's no mention in there that he takes away the pain, that he takes away the affliction, that he changes our children. Any of those things are in that passage. It's in the midst of whatever you find yourself in. Come to me. I am all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He wants to comfort us so that we can persevere for the long haul. Our lives can be characterized by faith, hope, and most importantly, love. Love with our our spouse, love with our children, of course, our neighbors, and so on. And then the last kind of along those lines is where he says, my grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient for the moment. And I want to take captive those strange thoughts I have with the future and all that kind of stuff. I want to take captive the thoughts that I may have things I should have done in the past. He says, my grace is sufficient for today. So I take it a day at a time.
0: Wow. <clears throat> so Spencer, the theme for this year's prodigal prayer day, which was last week, um, was, uh, Joy and the hard journey, and um I did several little devotions leading up to it on joy, and boy, was that instructional? <laughs> it was amazing. Our theme was uh, consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials uh, from James one two or two one, one two, I think and, and so consider means it really is an action that you're going to take as opposed to you feel joyful. It says consider, which is to think about, to recognize, to see how it's true, pure joy. And I just go, wow, that's that's asking a lot. And then several places in the New Testament and in especially the journeys of the children of Israel, but other things, it says... Over and over and over in Scripture, rejoice always. And and so my, my challenge and then my challenge to the people in our community was, can you do that? Not in your own power, maybe, but <laughs> probably. But certainly God has said, rejoice always. Consider it joy when you encounter trials. Any thoughts on how... They can do that better because that would make a huge difference in our responses and our lives. If instead of bemoaning the trials, the hard things in our lives, we can take God at his word and rejoice.
1: That is really difficult, Judy. And it's, um, you know, it's easier for a person who's suffering a little bit. It's much harder for a person that is struggling with suffering that we can't imagine for a variety of reasons. But I think a couple things. First of all, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And even if we go back to that whole illustration we've all learned of faith, fact, and feeling, joy is faith. It's not a feeling. Right. It's a fact because God says to us that if we abide in him, he will disclose himself to us and make his joy complete in our lives. Right. So first of all, it's a movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but it's one of faith. So every time a situation happens, I'll just give you Barbara's example recently when she got the diagnosis of breast cancer. Now, this is after 32 years of MS and, all, and two prodigal children. And so she said, well, Lord, I'm looking forward with anticipation to the lives of those I can interact with as I enter into this journey.
0: What a beautiful... Her,
1: yeah. <laughs> but that's because she's invested in her relationship with the Lord for years. When she was first diagnosed with, the, uh, with MS, uh, as she was going into the MRI, the, the neurologist told her it was either a brain tumor or MS. She said, first of all, well, Lord, you're not a stranger to me. So this will be, I'll meet you in the middle of that MRI. And then, Lord, if your will be done, I'd rather have MS because I'll live, live longer, most likely to see my children grow up. But God was not a stranger to her. Shortly after that, because she had made an investment in her relationship with the Lord, all, all those many years, long before this happened and long before we had you know, the children, and then shortly after that, I watched an interview with Clint Eastwood. You know, kind of the man's man. You know, the guy we'd want to be president because he'd solve all the problems in the world. Um, and they asked him, "Well, what do you what do you believe happens after death?" And all of a sudden, this man's man became a little boy, and he said, "I don't know." And he here was my wife, to whom God, the creator of the universe, was not a stranger. And to Clint Eastwood at that time, he didn't know who. This God was, he was like a little boy wondering what was out there in the world. So I think, first of all, I keep going back to the scriptures, but also the walking in the spirit. Joy is Lord, I'm choosing today to engage whatever circumstance comes into my life. I'm praying with anticipation, not expectation.
0: Yeah.
1: Expectation is premeditated resentment. If I expect that I'm, you know, gonna have a good meal and I show up at a restaurant where it's lousy, I'll be upset and resentful and mad. If I walk to go into a restaurant and say, Lord, I'm anticipating somehow, some way we're going to have an encounter in this restaurant and the food is bad, well, it will free me from that irritation and instead be concerned about the wait staff or the cook or whatever, or the person sitting next to me. So I think, first of all, one, it's the fruit of the Spirit, and it's an act of the will. Lord, I want to experience whatever circumstances. Show me your joy. Lord, I will not let go of you until I know your joy. It's the fruit of your Spirit. You've promised it to me if I'm yielding my life and my desires and my wants to you. And then we go back to these verses and say, now you may have to do that for five years, ten years. I've often, as you know, uh, Judy, used Johnny Erickson taught as an example. Because when she started off at 17, I can't go on living this way. She's a quadriplegic, became one as this beautiful young girl. And her first response was, I can't live this way. Now it's what, 57 years later? Somehow, some way, a day at a time, a week at a time. And now she's going through all sorts of other struggles in her
0: life. Yes, she is.
1: And so I can look at that and say, Lord, here's an example of someone who could persevere through a struggle so far deeper than mine. To remind me, Lord, the source of her strength, the source of her joy, is not because she's a unique person. It's because she has wonderfully yielded her life to you day by day, step by step, through the most difficult, depressing, lonely times when she rebelled against the Lord, didn't want anything to do with them, all the stuff that we all go through in life. And yet, by God's grace, he didn't let go of her, and she continued to yield to him as the Holy Spirit would whisper to her What he wanted her to know, even that one great quote, which I'll misquote, of course, is it's not being in my wheelchair. It's not your prodigal children. It's not your MS. It's not your things that are the issue. It's your attitude toward all of those things. And that's what I want God to be changing in my life is my attitude. And that's where, again, the transformation, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the other thing, Judy, I think for those of us that, you know, know Christ and are are, or whatever. You know, the word martyr, we think of those that have died, have been burned at the stake, and so on. But the word martyr in the Greek is martis. It means witness. You shall be my witnesses. It's martis. We've only attached that you die for. it Well, all of us are his witnesses, and all of us are, in a sense, experiencing that kind of martyrdom, because of the struggles in our own families that we never expected. We didn't think it'd be our children. We didn't think it would be our health, but it may very well be. And yet that reflects such great glory to him because of how we're responding to it. And so I think joy is possible step by step, moment by moment. If we engage wholeheartedly, what's attacking it? Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Thanking God in the midst of whatever circumstance I'm in, because he is allowing it for whatever reason that I cannot even understand and may not in this lifetime. I may never understand. And yet I trust him by faith.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Spencer. I think you have helped us really go deeper into the recognition of the source of all that we need on the journey that we're on. For those who are just beginning it, that might seem a little scary, but those who are in it, no, they can't do it but that you have helped us to see that God will be there with us and provide through His Spirit the, whatever we need at that moment in time. And the Word of God and trusting in Him, giving thanks, rejoicing, those are all outcomes of, of trusting God and knowing that He's going to be there for us even in the very hard journey. So thank you so much. I am sure, my faithful listeners, that Spencer has sparked connection and some really helpful ideas for your journey. Be sure to write them down right now so you don't forget whether it was trusting God, being in the Word, recognizing you live right now. We don't have control. It's not our fault And that you're with us through that journey. Whatever God has spoken to you, write it down and check out the show notes because we'll have some information for you there. How you can learn more from Spencer. So thank you. God bless you.